episode 15 of the Giants of the Faith podcast. I'm Robert Daniels, and I'm the host of this show, where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who have lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. They are people who are giants in the history of Christendom. These are Christian Hall of Famers. In this episode, we're zeroing in on W.A. Criswell. There's a good chance you aren't familiar with W.A., but he was a pretty important American evangelical leader in the 20th century who played a key role in defending the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, the Southern Baptist Convention, from succumbing to an encroaching liberal theology. W.A. Criswell was born in El Dorado, Oklahoma on December 19, 1909. He had no first name and no middle name. He was simply W.A. Giving boys initials rather than a name was, if not a common practice, at least a familiar one in the southern United States. In my own family, I have a great uncle named L.A., whose son, of course, was named L.B. W.A.'s parents were Wally, Amos, and Anna. It wasn't until later in his life, when he had to complete government documents, that W.A. assumed his father's name, Wally Amos. W.A. and his family left El Dorado and moved to Texline, Texas, when he was a young boy. His father was a barber and a cowboy, which is a pretty cool combination, I'd say, and the family moved for work purposes. God called Criswell to faith at age 10, and by the time he was 12, he knew that he was going to enter the ministry. When he was 17, he was licensed and ordained and was a part-time pastor. He graduated from Baylor University and received a Ph.D. from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. In 1935, he married Bessie Marie Harris. The two had one child, Mabel Ann, born in 1939. Criswell had several stops as a pastor, including one in Muskogee, Oklahoma, many years before Merle Haggard's 1969 hit, Oki from Muskogee, was released. Now that all led up to his being called to pastor the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, in 1944. It was at FBC Dallas that Criswell truly made his mark. The church grew to become a massive megachurch with membership of over 26,000 in the 1980s. It occupied a five-block area in downtown Dallas and was the largest Southern Baptist church in the world. He pioneered many of the approaches that are common in large churches today, including hiring an executive pastor, using professional staff to run the Sunday school, building a family life center that had a bowling alley, skating rink, basketball court, and more. Criswell believed in outreach. The church had special ministries for the deaf, homeless, poor, and even a crisis pregnancy center. Criswell was also an early adopter of technology like television. In 1951, he began broadcasting services locally, then statewide, and then nationally. In 1953, evangelist Billy Graham joined the First Baptist Dallas and remained a member there for 55 years. Criswell had a national presence, hobnobbing with presidents and other world leaders. He wrote over 50 books, founded Criswell College, and was an influence on John MacArthur. Criswell was an expository preacher who would preach through the Bible. And that may be something that some of us take for granted today, but it was kind of revolutionary at FBC Dallas. His style was to be correct in all things, grammar included, but to be approachable as well. About his preaching style, he wrote, 
A sermon is not a theological essay. It is designed to move the heart and the will of the people, as well as to instruct them in the way and in the faith. A sermon ought to be like the epistles of Paul. The apostle wrote of great doctrinal truth and teaching, then he closed with wonderful application. There are many different kinds of preaching, but the heart of it all is to preach the Christ of the Bible, the Word of God incarnate, spoken and written. In the 1950s, Criswell denounced forced racial integration, but after receiving criticism of his stance, he decided that he would no longer speak on the subject. But by 1968, when he was elected as president of the Southern Baptist Convention, his views had completely changed and solidified. His first sermon as president was titled, The Church of the Open Door. And in it he said, I don't think that segregation could have been or was at any time intelligently, seriously supported by the Bible. He pushed for a more inclusive denomination that endorsed racial equality and rejected its past bigotry. He said, Never in my life did I believe in separating people on the basis of skin pigmentation. Racism was, is, and always will be an abomination in the eyes of God, and should be in the eyes of God's people. And where we who call the name of Christ have knowingly or unknowingly contributed to racism in any form, we have sinned and need to beg God's forgiveness. Now this is all great stuff. But it isn't the reason that we're profiling W.A. Criswell on Giants of the Faith. We're profiling him because of his role in the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention and his stand against liberalism. His fight echoes the great 19th century Baptist Charles Spurgeon's fight against liberalism in the English Baptist Church. In fact, Criswell used Spurgeon as an example and a tool to reach audiences and convince them of the need to stand firm on the Bible. To Criswell, the Bible was everything. It was God's inspired word. He was never one to preach a feel-good sermon where the Bible was left out or just mentioned in passing. His was a Bible-based ministry. If you have time and the inclination, check out wacriswell.com where you can read, watch, and listen to many of his sermons. The Southern Baptist Convention in the 1960s had begun to move away from its traditional roots. Professors in its seminaries held a low view of Scripture. Now that is, they saw it as largely allegorical or mythological. They didn't see it as infallible or inerrant. And they were training up a generation of pastors to think the same way. This same thing had already happened in the mainline denominations. They were already slipping down the liberal slope and on their way to irrelevancy. Criswell was determined to stop this from happening to the Southern Baptist Convention. So in 1978, Criswell and other conservative leaders in the convention got together to plan how they could bring their denomination back. Their plan was simple in conception, but more difficult in practice. They decided to go the extra mile to ensure that conservative presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention were elected. And those presidents would then place conservatives in position of authority in seminaries and other institutions. To do this, they had to spend a lot of time and a lot of money rallying conservative messengers to attend the conventions and to vote. Uh, Messengers are what Baptists call convention attendees, basically. Through these efforts, they pushed through leaders like Adrian Rogers and Jimmy Draper Jr., 
The plan was working, but by 1985, the liberals had begun to push back. The 1985 convention was the largest ever, with over 45,000 attendees. Both sides knew that 1985 would be a pivotal year. The SBC would either go left or right, and it seemed like there would be no turning back once a direction was chosen. It was in this chaotic time that God called a man to stand in the gap, to hold the line, and to beat back the onslaught of liberal theology. Criswell took the stage to preach his sermon, Whether We Live or Die, the night before the official kickoff of the convention at the SBC Pastors Conference. In his sermon, Criswell outlined the pattern of death for denominations and institutions. He cast back to the Baptists in England in 19th century and Spurgeon's downgrade controversy. Spurgeon had called out his own association for embracing a low view of Scripture. He correctly predicted that the decline of his church in England, failing attendance, irrelevance, and a total lack of missions. Criswell drew the comparison between the 19th century British Baptists and the 20th century American ones. Spurgeon's warnings had not been heeded then, and it had led to the collapse of the Baptist Union. His warnings must be heeded now to avoid a similar fate in the Southern Baptist Convention. And then he recalled Lottie Moon, the great Baptist missionary to China. Moon had been engaged to marry a man, Crawford Troy, who was a professor at Southern Seminary. When Moon returned to America from China and learned that Troy had adopted the liberal views of scripture and inspiration, she was heartbroken, and she refused to go through with the wedding. She lived out the rest of her days as a single woman, heartbroken. She never married, but she valued God and his word more than her own feelings. Criswell said, However much our hearts may yearn over those who are victims and carriers of modernistic fallacy, if we are to survive as a people of God, we must wage a war against the disease that more than any other will ruin our missionary, evangelistic, and soul-winning commitment. In the crowd were three distinct groups, conservatives already on Criswell's side, liberals opposed, and the indifferent, who were not concerned about liberalism taking root. Criswell intended to point out to the indifferent that the situation was life or death, that God's word was under assault, and it was a question of survival, and that they needed to take a stand. And they did. The next day, as the convention opened, Charles Stanley was elected president, and the conservative victory was cemented. Over the next few years, conservatives came to dominate Southern Baptist institutions. In 1993, Albert Moeller was installed as president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, even though Moeller was only 33 years old at the time. Moeller returned the institution to holding a high view of scripture and has been a fixture and leader of the evangelical movement in America ever since. Criswell continued to serve at FBC Dallas as pastor until 1990 when he took on the part-time role of senior pastor, and then he retired in 1993. Criswell died on January 10, 2002, at 92 years old. His daughter Mabel died the same year, and his wife Bessie expired four years later in 2006. Criswell stood firm against the corruption of God's word, and for that reason, he is a giant of the faith. Now that's the end of another episode of Giants of the Faith. 
Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or an Apple Podcasts, and send along any comments or corrections to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless.